You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Thursday, the 10th of December, which means Christmas is now only 15 days away. Yeah, and if you haven't done your Christmas shopping yet, just do what I do. Wait until your loved one is opening someone else's gift and then say, oh, that's for me too. We both went in on that. We went halfsies. Merry Christmas. Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, Facebook and Instagram might be getting a divorce. We look back on why you were in the streets this year and we've got Brian Cranston and Rachel Maddow joining us on the show. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick it off with a holiday story. If you've been listening to the music in the background of any store over the past week, you know that this is the most wonderful time of the year. But it's still 2020, which means even the holidays are a little less jolly than usual. Online shopping instead of going to the mall. Zoom parties instead of real ones. And now, this. Say it ain't so. The makers of Pepperidge Farm cookies say there may be a shortage of cookies this holiday season. No. And they blame it on increased demand and a labor shortage, both results of the pandemic, of mm. course. A recent survey shows cookie consumption has increased by 25% since the start of the pandemic, with one in five Americans eating three or more cookies a day. Okay, you know what? That's not cool. Like, I don't know why the news is not reporting on the number of cookies I eat. Yeah, I eat more than three. Why is that news? What am I supposed to do? It's a pandemic. You just want me to cry every day. Now, apparently this crisis is not just being caused by increased demand. It's also a labor shortage, which I assume means that the Keebler elves are on strike to protest their dangerous working conditions. If you've ever had a crunchy cookie, that's elf bones. So look, I understand why there's a shortage, but still, man, this is so messed up. Christmas is the cookie season. This is like Trojan announcing that they have a condom shortage on Valentine's Day. If I can't buy condoms, how am I supposed to impress the guy at 7-Eleven before I go home and play video games by myself? And I know, I know some of you people are saying, but Trevor, you don't need to buy cookies. You can just bake your own cookies at home. No, 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 no. That was the first three months of quarantine. I'm done with that baking shit now. And this is gonna be real bad news for Santa Claus. You think he's gonna travel around the world for a pair? I wouldn't even walk across the room for a pair. This man needs cookies to keep up his energy so that he can give presents to all the kids and then have Christmas sex with all our moms. <laughs> Let's move on to some news out of Great Britain. It's the country with the non-Beyonce queen. During the coronavirus lockdowns, many Brits have gotten so desperate for entertainment that they have taken up gardening. And some of them are being rewarded for their efforts with more than a new flower bed. Now, proof that gardening can be beneficial in more ways than you might think. A family from the New Forest discovered this hoard of gold coins while doing a spot of weeding. The British Museum says it's one of a string of finds recorded during the first lockdown in the spring. It's thought the coins would have been worth, wait for it, the equivalent of £14,000 in today's money. How good would that be to discover that in your garden? Imagine finding a hoard of gold coins while you're gardening. I'll tell you what, that's the end of gardening. Man, forget these rhubarbs, I'm rich. But you know, this is just one of the benefits of living in the UK. Because anytime I dig for treasure in New York, I just end up in my downstairs neighbor's apartment. Sorry, Jerry, looks like I did it again. 
Also, there's just so much more buried treasure in Britain because it's an old country with thousands of years of civilization. Gardeners in America would be like, wow, a can of new Coke from 1985. The history books speak of such things. So congratulations to that British gardening family for their find, although they should be careful. The original owner might be coming back for that money. You never know. Next week, the dad will open the door and see an ancient knight standing there. Whither is my treasure? You're looking at it. I got myself a butt lift. Damn. I hate to lose my coins, but I love to watch them leave. Meanwhile, back in the United States, do you guys remember the um, 2020 presidential election? You know, it was the day when you voted for a president and a bunch of local races that you had to Google from inside the voting booth. Well, one of the stories we thought we'd never have to hear about again once the election was over just came roaring back to life. Hunter Biden, the president-elect's son, says the U.S. attorney in Delaware is investigating his tax records. Sources tell CBS News the FBI has been looking into Hunter Biden's taxes since 2018. Under Justice Department policy, law enforcement didn't actively pursue the case during the weeks before the presidential election to avoid politicizing the investigation. That's right, people. Apparently, Hunter Biden is under investigation for his taxes. And Donald Trump must be furious right now. Did you guys see that Hunter Biden is being investigated for tax fraud? I'm so angry. Sir, are you angry because you wanted to use it against his dad for the election? No, I'm angry because tax fraud is my thing. How's he stealing my thing? Criminals. And I'm not gonna lie, Hunter Biden announcing his own investigation, whew, that's a pretty gangster move. I mean, usually you see pictures of people covering their faces when they run into court. You know, they're trying to hide that there's an investigation, but Hunter's like a guy coming home late at night, like, oh, babe, you're gonna wanna go through my phone. Honestly, I think that in the end, this kind of scandal will be good for America because we just spent four years with scandals 24 seven. We can't just go down to zero scandals cold turkey. And Biden's family is gonna help us taper it down. Like right now, Hunter has a text thing. You know, but it's just a tax scandal. Maybe next year, Joe Biden asks the Ukrainian president for something inappropriate, but it's just the answers to a crossword puzzle. Just ease us off, ease us off. Right now we're addicted to scandals. Now look, we don't really know what, if anything, this Hunter Biden story will lead to, but if he has done anything wrong, my advice would be to ask President Trump for a pardon before he leaves. And I know that may seem unlikely, but based on how Trump has been making it rain, Anything is possible. Clark is winding down now on this Trump presidency with growing signs he's planning what many see as a potential pardon avalanche. Axios, which often reports directly leaks out of the White House, says Trump telling an advisor he's gonna pardon, quote, every person who ever talked to me. They're saying Trump isn't just accepting pardon requests, but blindly discussing them like Christmas gifts to people who haven't even asked. One source felt awkward because the president was clearly trying to be helpful, but the advisor didn't believe they had committed any crimes. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I just love this story. Because, because the way the story is reported, it makes it sound like Trump is just whistling down the hallway like... <laughs> I pardon you, I pardon you. Morning, Stephen, your pardon. Hello, break room donut, your pardon, but I'm still gonna eat you. Yum, 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 yum. Pardon donut in my belly. But yeah, that's right. Apparently, Trump is saying he's gonna pardon every person he's ever spoken to, which first of all, 
is too bad for Eric. And second, of course Trump is gonna give out pardons as Christmas gifts. He doesn't have to spend any money on them. But what I do love is that some of his advisors are trying to avoid getting pardons because get this, they know that a pardon would make them look bad. And so now they're trying to explain that to Trump. Uh, Mr. President, I don't really need a pardon because like, I didn't do anything. Uh, I'm not guilty of anything. Whoa, 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 slow down. What does not guilty mean? And finally, today's big tech news is about Facebook. You know, the site that helps you and your high school friends connect with violent extremists. It's one of the most powerful companies in the world, but it might just have met its match. 46 states have joined the government's groundbreaking legal challenge to Facebook. Two antitrust lawsuits accuse the world's biggest social network of illegally shutting down the competition. The Federal Trade Commission is asking for a federal court to force Facebook to sell off assets like Instagram and WhatsApp, arguing that in acquiring those competitors, Facebook illegally created a monopoly. On Wednesday, a bipartisan group of attorneys general from nearly every U.S. state filed its own lawsuit against Facebook, accusing the company of predatory behavior. New York's Attorney General Letitia James is leading the lawsuit by the state, alleging if companies stepped into Facebook's turf or resisted pressure to sell, Zuckerberg would go into destroy mode, subjecting your business to the wrath of Mark. Some people believe that uh, Facebook is free. It really isn't free. Fact is, is that they use your personal data and they monetize it and they sell it to advertisers. And as a result of that, your data, your privacy, those protections are compromised. Okay, guys, this is like huge. 46 states and the federal government are suing to break up Facebook. That just shows you how widespread the feeling is that big tech has gotten out of hand because it didn't used to be that way. Remember how back in the day, we all had that cousin, you know, that cousin home from college who was like, I'm not giving the corporations my private photos. And most of us were like, man, we get what you're saying, but you're also a vegan. But now, more and more, the rest of us are like, huh, maybe I shouldn't have given big tech a perfect scan of my face so that they can recognize me wherever I go on the planet. Although personally, I'm not too worried that Facebook knows everything about me and can manipulate me into buying stuff I don't need. I mean, some people might fall for that, but... Oh, snap. Wow, I don't have a hoodie in that color. Yeah, I'll buy one. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, that doesn't work on me, those ads and things. And can I just say I am very impressed that so many government officials are willing to come out against Facebook especially when you consider how much Facebook knows about them. I mean, at the next hearing, some judge could be like, give me one good reason why we shouldn't break up Facebook and Instagram. Well, we've given everybody so much joy, your honor. In fact, let's just look at all of the messages that you've sent all of these Instagram thoughts. Okay, 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 case dismissed, let's move on. What's amazing to me is that even though America is so divided right now, Almost every state agrees that something needs to be done about big tech. And look, whatever the merits of this particular lawsuit, the fact that it was brought at all should be a warning for Facebook. Because if what you're doing is so egregious that you're bringing California and Mississippi together, you're done fucked up. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. But when we come back, Dulce Sloan looks back at all the protests of 2020 and Rachel Maddow is joining me on the show. Stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. 2020 is almost over. 
And I think we can all agree that it has been the dopest year ever. I mean, everything was great. And for the rest of the month, we're gonna be remembering all of this year's top moments. Today, Dulce Sloan looks back at all the protests of 2020. During 2020, we were either stuck indoors quarantine or we were outside protesting. There was no in between. In fact, sometimes I couldn't separate the two. I'd be home going, what do I want? Breakfast. When do I want it? Now. It seemed like the year of everyone saying enough is enough and taking it to the streets. Let's start with the biggest movement of them all, Black Lives Matter. In the wake of George Floyd's murder, Americans took to the street to tell cops, hey, what if you stopped killing the people you were supposed to protect? But in response to people asking cops not to beat their asses, a lot of cops started beating asses. They kept hitting me and he eventually hit my hand and broke it. I needed to stay as calm as possible. I had no idea what these guys were capable of. Damn, he didn't even flinch. These cops are so stupid. Not because they're trying to beat up an unarmed man, but if I hit a man that hard with a baton and he just stood there, I wouldn't keep hitting him. I'd be like, shit, this man is a Terminator. Run! But while many Black Lives Matter protesters got their ass beat, some protesters showed us their whole ass. Naked Athena captured the imagination of Americans when she staged a full frontal protest before armed federal agents in Portland. This fury arose in me and I said, I want to be naked. Social media is calling this goofy bitch Naked Athena. If this woman was black, we'd be calling her arrested. The f are you talking about? These 2020 protests ran the full spectrum, from Black Lives Matter, where people were fighting for their right to live, to the protests against lockdown and face masks, where people were fighting for their right to die. And we all seen the clips of COVID Karens losing their shit in a Target or Whole Foods for having to wear a mask. But one of my favorite moments proved that not every Karen was a woman. The mask wars rage on. A dad loses it in a store after being told to cover up. The man's son literally picks him up and carries him right out of the store. I'll beat that mask off your face. Your own son carried you out? You can't call someone else a pussy when you're being carried out by the person that came out of your balls. Why are you all so pissed off about masks? Even the naked bitch kept her mask on. And look, I can understand not wanting to cover a beautiful, symmetric face. I mean, look at your girl. <laughs> but there's a deadly global pandemic ravaging the country. Plus, it's impossible to do a beauty routine under a ventilator. So even if I survive, I'd look ashy as f In which case, what was the point? Protests have been such a huge part of 2020 that after the election, Americans started protesting stuff that didn't even happen. So the Trump stands took to the street demanding that they stop the count. Stop the count! Or count all the votes. Count the votes! Or count some of all the votes, then stop the count. You know, it really depended on who you asked, which is not an effective protest. It would be like Black Lives Matter going, stop killing us, except for Deshaun. He ain't shit anyway. But by far, my favorite election fraud protester was this dude. The Biden crime family steals the election. The media is covering up. The Biden crime family steals this election. The media is covering it up. The Biden crime family steals this election. The media is covering up. We want our freedom for the world. Okay, that guy needs a chill pill and some sleeves because right now the only results he looks fit to dispute are a wet t-shirt contest. 
And listen, Freedom Seymour Hoffman, if you want me to believe you while you're interrupting a press conference, I have to be convinced you came to interrupt the press conference. Not that it was a side errand on your way to pick up some chewing tobacco. But it wasn't all bad at the protests in 2020. There was that one Saturday when Trump officially lost. And for once this year, we saw protests inspired by happiness. People took to the streets for something good, and I wasn't ready. I had a brick in one hand and a Molotov cocktail in the other. So I didn't know what to do. So I just made a kiss. And one guy got so excited, he even celebrated in two languages. Mecca is very, very content, very, very joyous. And I've been to France, it's beautiful. And he's not the only one this morning. Hey, hey, can I go? I love a croissant. I love an omelette du fromage. We've come full circle because this feels racist against white people. Almost. French people are way more than just escargot and croissants. They also love baguettes. So yeah, this dude was being mildly racist, but he's got a nice torso and he's happy about Biden winning. So if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna show him my anger with a naked protest of my own. Thank you so much, Dulce. Go get you some, girl. All right, when we come back, Rachel Maddow is joining me on the show and we're gonna dish about politics and Brian Cranston is joining me on the show and we're talking about something else. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with Emmy Award winning MSNBC host, Rachel Maddow. We talked about her new book on a Nixon administration scandal that you might not have heard about. Check it out. Rachel Maddow, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> Trevor, it's great to see you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to join you in your hive from my hive. This, is, this has been an interesting experience for, for everybody in, in this world because we're doing the thing we do in a way that we don't do it. Today, we're gonna talk about your book. And if I told people, Rachel Maddow's on with a book about a corrupt president who um, has explosive rhetoric and is extremely divisive and has used the White House for his own ends, people will be like, ah, Donald Trump. And you're like, no, you're wrong. Then they'd be like, ah, you got me, Richard Nixon. And you're like, no, you're still wrong. And then you'd be like, it's Spiro Agnew. So let me ask you this. When we talk about the book, is it good or bad that America has seen something similar to this before? I think there is a, a big piece of it that can help, which is not that Agnew was a corrupt, unbelievably corrupt sort of monster in the White House. Like, we've seen that. We know what that means. That's kind of dog, bite, dog bites man at this point. The, the part of this that needs to be told is the good guys in the story. Like, we need to tell each other heroic stories about public service and citizenship and civic responsibility right. that model good behavior. And in this case, the prosecutors and the Republican Nixon appointed U.S. attorney and the Republican Nixon appointed attorney general were all like paragons of nonpartisan responsibility. Mm -hmm. And they're the reason that Agnew never became president, which would have been a catastrophe for this country in the abstract, and especially right in the wake of Watergate, which is when it would have happened. And so right. it's the good guys that I feel like, ah, oh, that's the part, those are the guys who need to be famous. That's the part of it that we that could help us now. One of the lessons I'm learning right now, though, that's different, even in reading your book, is it feels like in previous times, the politics was more in the political world. You know, even with Nixon, it didn't feel like it was like in the streets the way it is now. And granted, I wasn't around for it, so I don't know if that's how I'm reading it. But this feels like it goes down to the ground, like the man on the street is involved in this level, if, if, if that makes sense. You know, it's not a political thing, it is just a thing now. 
And I, I, I sometimes wonder, I go, do you think we've gotten to the point now where your reality is only based on your political affiliation? And that's what I struggle with in America, because you guys just have two political parties. I'm not used to that. So here you just have, it's this or it's this, it's blue or it's red. I'm like, what about purple? What about green? They're like, no, it's blue or it's red. And so I wonder, because you're one of the people who I know thinks about this and you convey stories and people respect you, I wonder if you, if you grapple with that, that paradox that, that America is right now, where it's the United States that is no longer united because it's literally split down the middle. Yeah, and, and where we don't have an agreed upon set of facts or where yes. one yeah, side just believes that whatever the facts are, we don't care. We have alternative facts. We would rather look at things through our own lens. Those are the only lessons that we listen to. I mean, the the thing that I think is helpful about history in that point, like in the in the case of Agnew and in, in Bagman, is that so like there's this moment where Agnew goes uh, to a Republican women's conference in yes. Southern California. And Nixon has told him to resign. And the Justice Department has told him you're going to be indicted. And he knows he is like on his way out. And he goes up before this audience of like kind of rabid Republican women. And he says, I will not resign if indicted. I will not resign if indicted. And he starts screaming about the terrible, um, uh, the media and how the media can't be trusted. And the women in the audience, some of them start screaming at the reporters. I don't, I don't think they called them the enemy of the people, but it was the exact <laughs> same thing that you get like with, with Trump telling his supporters to scream at the media. And, so, and this is 1973. Some of those women at that event brought their own tape recorders to the event so they could record Agnew because they knew the lamestream media oh, wow. would take it all out of context. Wow. So there's been, a, there's been a thread of this through American politics that isn't new. Um, and that people, I think, who are the most sort of demagogic have, have exploited for a long time. Your show is not just the most successful it's been, but it's the most successful show. I don't even know how it's measured sometimes. They go like weekly for these people for... Long story short, Rachel Maddow is number one. That's all I know. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what I would love to know from, from your perspective, as somebody who is truly a giant in, in broadcasting, is as Rachel Maddow... What do you think some of the tips and tricks are that liberals don't have that conservatives do have that they use really well? Because there's no denying that Fox News are really engaging and really good at convincing people of things. And now Newsmax and OAN are outflanking them on that side where now they're going, oh, you guys are liberal in that way. And it's like, no, they're not liberal. Is, is there something that, that liberals and Democrats are missing in America in learning how to communicate with people and convincing them of ideas? It's a really, really good question and one that I have thought about a lot. I was also part of this experiment where liberals tried to do AM talk radio uh, with Air America Radio for a long time. And it was at that point, AM talk radio was basically in a foreign language or sports or church or Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> like that was that was it. And so the idea that you'd like, you know, tune in to hear somebody wax poetic about the Voting Rights Act, like it was just and it didn't work. You know, uh, right. we, we tried and it didn't work. Um, and so I have thought about this a lot. I do think that there is something that is a little bit magic about the right wing media, which is that, that the left wing media will never do. And that I think liberals and centrists will never do, which is that they tell their audience, you can trust no one other than me. There are no facts uh, other than those that I am giving to you. Uh, if, and, and you actually see that right now with the president trying to discipline Fox News, saying, yes. oh, Fox News is now giving you fake news, yes. too. You have to go to the more pure like that, that willingness to hive off what you're offering from everybody else 
that's I will never develop that muscle. You know, my show will always be the Washington Post just reported this and the Associated Press just reported this and Fox News right, just reported right, right. this. I, I trust other sources other than myself. Yes. I believe in journalism. I believe in the fact-based world. And so therefore, I'll never tell you to shut it off and only listen to me. And the, the right has the opposite view of that. And that explains why they've locked up so much of their own market. But I think it also explains why they don't speak to the whole country. They only speak to people who they've already convinced to turn off everything else. If there was a way to do like a, uh, you know, like those, you know, what are those shows called in America? It's like wife swap, spouse swap type things. Would you ever do like a, a week or something on Fox and talk to their viewers? Do you think you could convince any of their viewers of a different reality? I, Jesus, uh, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> um, could I like wear a latex face of another person? So I <laughs> no, their that's what I want to know. As Rachel seconds? Maddow, do you think you could talk to them and say to them, hey, I know you don't like me, but let me lay out my case. And, and like, do you think you would be able to do that? I, I, you are not going to believe me when I say this, but I sort of feel like I do that every night in what I'm doing anyway. Like, I don't, ass I don't assume that my audience already thinks all the same things that I do or that has right, right. the same perspective on it. So I feel like I'm always trying to convince people who don't otherwise come from the same perspective that I come from, that what I'm saying is something to offer. Like, here are the facts. Here's my take on it. Uh -huh. Here's where I may be wrong. Here's an expert who can tell me if I'm wrong. Here's, you know, you make of this what you will. Yes. And so I sort of feel like I'm approaching that anyway. The thing, the reason this is hard to imagine is because I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to imagine like the moment of walking into the Fox studios and the Fox executives being like, really, is this person going to sell erectile dysfunction pills to our audience tonight? Really? I, this might not work, but you know, maybe. Anything's ratings possible. Ratings, you, 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 you never know. And if there's anyone who can be uh, as convincing uh, in the opposite way to the people on Fox, I think it could be Rachel Maddow. Um, I know you got to get ready for your show. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for writing an amazing book. I wish everyone wrote books like this about history because I, like most of history is boring to read unless it's written well. So congratulations on an amazing story. I hope everybody goes out and, get, goes out and gets it. And uh, I hope to see you again in person soon. Trevor, thank you so much. You're great, my friend. Thank Rachel you. Rachel Maddow, I appreciate you. Don't forget, the book Bagman is available now. And of course, don't forget to watch Rachel Maddow's show weeknights on MSNBC. All right, when we come back, I'll be chatting to Brian Cranston, not just about his new show, but what it's been like to have COVID-19 and why he can't taste anything anymore. You don't wanna miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with award-winning actor, Brian Cranston. We talked about his new Showtime series, his bout with coronavirus, and so much more. Brian Cranston, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> Thank you, Trevor. It's great to be on with you. It is wonderful to have you on. I have always been a big fan of your dimples as a fellow dimple haver myself. I have followed your career avidly. I subscribe to Dimple Weekly and we are all proud of your achievements. Um, so welcome, welcome to the show. How, how have you been holding up, by the way? How are you? Well, isn't that an interesting question? How are you? It used to be where you say, how are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? Very good. And you move on. Yes. Now, 2020, it's like, ooh, how am I? How am I? It's kind of this existential question now. The answer is good. I'm, I mean, you know, we're, we're adaptable beings. I'm, I'm saddened that we, we don't have any uh, current leadership that is taking 
what we're dealing with seriously and and you know 3000 people are passing away at a on a at a on a day now and i think back in march when i contracted covid-19 and how lucky i was my symptoms were very mild and i had some aches and achiness and a little dry cough and and uh and just absolute lethargy i sh- couldn't sleep enough right it knocked me that way yeah and then I lost my uh, sense of taste and smell for months and months. What, are you being serious? Yeah. What is that experience like? Well, to this day, I don't have it back 100%. It's about 75%, maybe something like that. If I walked into a kitchen and someone was brewing coffee, I can't smell it. Wow. So I have to open up the bag of beans and I go, oh, yeah, that's that's coffee. Or stick my nose oh, in. Oh, wow, man. Yeah. And do they do they have an idea of when it comes? Is it just you just play it by ear? You see. Well, what's interesting, my wife was reading up on this, and she said um, neurologists will tell you the way to retrain the senses is to do exactly what I do: open up that bag of coffee beans. It reconnects the the senses in in your brain. Uh, so anything pungent cheese right 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 you have to teach your brain to smell again and taste again yeah wow okay well i'm glad it's you and not me and i'm glad that you are healthier now i i do not wish that experience i love the taste of things too much and i like knowing who smelt it because i know who dealt it i mean these are important things in life um <laughs> i would love to talk to you about your brand new show you're playing a judge in a very sticky situation, a judge who has a son who's involved in a hit and run, and then he has to make the very tough decision between following the law and following his family. As tough as that decision is for any parent, um, my character, Michael, does the right thing and say, says to his son, you need to turn yourself in uh, and, and be responsible and accountable for, for your actions. And I convince him to do the right thing. We go to the police station. I'm about to turn him in when I notice a grieving couple who are the parents of the boy that was killed in this car accident right. earlier in the day. I don't know who she is, but I know him, and he is a vicious, violent criminal. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I continued on and turned my son into the police department and thereby into the judicial system, He would get to him somehow, and he would kill my son. So all of a sudden, animal instincts take over. Uh And it's Uh like, that's it. We're leaving. Uh, I'm making this impulsive decision, uh, and away it goes. I feel like you have this amazing ability to play characters where... You, you, you're a good person who is not doing the right thing, but we want you to not do the right thing because we, 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 we're in touch with the humanity of the person that we, we, are, we are watching. When you're playing these characters, like how do, I really want to know how you get into doing that. How do, you, how do you learn to love them so that we can love them and their flaws and then start supporting them committing crimes? Because you, you, you make us support people who commit crimes. That's what you do. I, that's what I do. That's my stock and trade. Um, <laughs> It's true. You know, I learned early on uh, that when when a, you're going through maturation and you're in middle school or high school mm-hmm. and someone does something embarrassing or humiliating, you laugh at them. That was because you, you're glad it wasn't you. But beyond that, when you mature, human beings are really lovely 
at heart, the foundational sense of a human being. If they see someone humiliated or embarrassed or vulnerable, they don't want to laugh at them. They want to wrap their arms around them. They want to protect them. And so that's the beauty of, of portraying someone like this or Walter White or someone who is trying to do the right thing but is flawed. So an audience knowing that they are imperfect themselves, mm -hmm. it's that upon the characters saying, my God, I don't think I would have done anything differently. I would have right. done something like that. So they instantly relate to you. And then I hope that they do. I take them by the hand and I say, let me take you for a ride. Come on, I'll tell you a story. And you go and you take them on a journey that sometimes they want to shake loose of, but they cannot they're compelled to continue on that journey. My, my only criticism of the show, if I may, is that it's a miniseries. We're in a pandemic, Brian Cranston. Why would you not make a full long show? Why do you do this to us, Brian Cranston? We're I your do, fans, why would you do I that? I do it to help you, Trevor. I don't want you to, to have that instant gratification seeped into your soul. I want you to develop a sense of restraint and an appreciation for things that take time. Look, would you drink a cheap bottle of wine that was made last week? No, you would wait, let it wait, turn it, let it mature, and then open that bottle. In the pandemic, I will finish that. I have finished that bottle, Brian Cray. I will not wait for anything <laughs> during the pandemic, it's 2020. Needless to say, I think it's a fantastic show. You've done an amazing job again. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Trevor, appreciate it. Hopefully next time we can do it in person. Always, my friend, always. I'll see you around. Be well. Thank you, bye. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, I wanted to remind you again to please support your local restaurants if you can. I know not everybody can afford to, but if you can, order some food in because these restaurants are struggling to stay open during the pandemic and all their employees are gonna be suffering and the restaurant won't be open for you when the pandemic is over. If you wanna help beyond just getting the food, then please consider a donation to the James Beard Foundation's Open For Good campaign, which helps independent restaurants survive this pandemic. Until next time, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, if you find gold coins in your garden, do the right thing. Bury them again, water them, and then you wait for that money tree to grow, baby! <laughs> wait, that's not how it... The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.